morning, folks. My name's Millie Bain. I'm here with Power Surge Live. I've got some special announcements for you today with amazing opportunities and great deals. Who likes a great deal? That's right. I know someone who does. How's it going, Doug? Before we get started, I have a special guest all the way from Australia. Give a round of applause for my man, Tommy Thompson. Get on up here and give me a hand. He's talking about me. How's it going, Tommy? It's going great, great to mate. see you. You too, mate. Alrighty then, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, uh, I was uh, born in Australia, I really love adventure. I don't really know how I got here personally, but uh, I'm excited to be here. Awesome, well I'm glad you like adventure, because what we have in store for you is full of adventure. CFC, July 26th, Power Surge is coming to your campus. Power Surge? That's right. That sounds awesome, mate. It's how the can best. I help? How can you help? Yes, sir. Oh, I'm glad you asked. There's a lot of ways that all of you can help. First off, we need water. Lots of water. Specifically, we need cases of 16.9 fluid ounce bottles of water brought to campus. Okay. And we also need your pop-up tents. Give them to us, please. So, uh, when and where? You can drop them off at the Power Surge booth that will be there the next two Sundays, or just bring them to campus anytime during the week. Okay, that sounds awesome, mate. So, how do I sign up? Oh, we have not one. Not three, not five, but two different ways that you can sign up for Power Surge. First, you can sign up online at cfcjacks.com, okay. or you can see one of our representatives at the Power Surge booth. Okay, so who can sign up? Anyone. R anyone? Yeah, we need as many volunteers as we can get. Really? Anyone? Yeah, anyone. Really? Actually, no, you have to be 18 years or older uh, to volunteer uh, for yeah, Power Surge. Okay, <laughs> okay. so, um, yeah. Yeah. You can sign up today, next two Sundays. We need 175 volunteers, and those spots do not fill up quick in the past. But we want them to fill up quick. So CFC, sign up for those spots online, in the courtyard. See you guys at Power Surge. We're excited to see you. All right. Well, if we could talk that fast, we'd be done with the sermon in 30 minutes and out of here. But, so if you missed it, what do we need? Two things? Water and workers, volunteers, all right. We would love to have you participate. Oh, and pop-up tents, yes. Just give them to us, I think was the line. Give them to us. All right, you have a Bible with you? If you would, go ahead and grab it and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to return to our series that we're calling Excel Still More. Uh, appreciate Tony Anderson, Jonathan Monk, who filled in the last two weeks while... Jackie and I had some time off, grateful for them. We're going to return now to 1 Thess 4 and start in verse 1 just as a, a review of what we're looking at. It says in verse 1, 1 Thess 4, Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. Very simply, excel still more is Paul's way of saying, I want you to exercise the leadership of Jesus in your life in every area. You're doing it in some areas, but not other areas. You're doing it sometimes, but not all the time. So excel still more in all areas at all times. In other words, maybe it's, this will help. No duplicity. In other words, uh, not one guy at school and then another guy at church. Not one person at church and then a different person at home. Not one person in public and then another person in private. The leadership of Jesus in every area at all times. That's what Excel Still More 
is. And he is simply going to, even though he says finally, it's not a last sentence, it's an introduction to two chapters where he's going to go area by area through our lives and say, here's what it means to honor Jesus in this area, in this area, in this area, in this area. So if we're going to excel still more, first and foremost, it begins with how we handle this book. And so we, we do this a lot at the chapel. It's a reminder that no matter how much I teach, that unless you are prepared to receive the word, you're not going to excel still more. Because it's not about what I say as much as what you are prepared to receive, to not let it go over your head, not let it bounce off of you, not let it hit your spouse and not you. It's for you to receive it. So as part of this, we've said every week, before we receive the scriptures, we're going to make a declaration about the scriptures and our readiness to receive it. So would you take your Bible in your hands and maybe it's on a device or whatever, but take it in your hands and let's very intentionally, thoughtfully in preparation, declare this together. Read it with me. This is God's word, his heart revealed. I humbly declare his ways are higher than my ways and his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. I will not lean on my own understanding, but incline my heart now to receive his word so that I may excel still more in filling the earth with his glory by walking in his truth and loving all people as he has loved me. So Father, having declared that, not just a rote statement, but a genuine preparation of our heart. We want to hear from you, very utterances of God, that it would change how we think and that new thoughts would lead to new reactions and new relationships and new pursuits. So we invite your Holy Spirit to be our teacher, not simply to instruct us, but to transform us from one degree of glory to another, even into the image of your Son, our Savior. We ask it in his name. Amen. All right, if you would now drop down to verse 13. Here's the, the area he wants to instruct us in. He says, I don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. So this is not a passage about people who fall asleep in church. This is a passage about people who are in Christ and have died. Falling asleep in the scripture is always an expression for a person who has died. Specifically, this is a person who is in Christ. In other words, they have trusted in Jesus to be their savior and they've died. And he wants us to know what to think about it and how to react to it. Because if you're tracking, there is a way to react to the death of a believer that pleases God, that glorifies God, and a way that doesn't please God, that doesn't glorify him. So he's going to give us how to excel still more, how to glorify God in the context of believers who have loved ones who are believers who died. The first thing he says is this, so that you will not grieve. No, doesn't stop there. <laughs> so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. 
first truth I want us to understand is, as believers in Jesus, when a fellow believer dies, grieving is appropriate. And that might seem like a no-brainer, but sometimes, maybe it was, I was explicitly taught it, or maybe I just thought it, but I definitely operated under a mentality that believing in Jesus meant that if someone dies and they're in Christ, I don't grieve. But that's not what the scripture says. Grieving, actually, as ones who have hope, glorifies God. So when people say, well, I don't want to cry, I think, why? Because you're afraid of tears or you think it's wrong? Tears at a funeral, tears at a memorial service, I think actually when they are shed with hope are God glorifying. For at least these three ways. First, a grieving that does not deny my believing. First, you understand what I mean by that? There is a grieving that denies what we believe. But there is a grieving that can be married to our believing that glorifies God. First, when I grieve the pain and suffering that many experience prior to death. I think that glorifies God. That might sound funny to you, but when we grieve the pain and suffering that people experience prior to death, we are grieving that reality that we live in a fallen world. We live in a world that God did not intend originally for it to be this way. And so we grieve when people suffer before they die. One of the things that, that Jackie and I experienced in our, early, uh, our later 20s was her father getting the phone call of a, a massive heart attack that didn't take his life completely, but it did take his life mostly. And to watch over the next few years, uh, the man that she had grown up to love and to cherish to see him almost shrivel up so that she'd say, Doug, I barely recognize him anymore. And she can look at pictures now of those years between when he had the heart attack and then when he ultimately died. And she can look and go, that's not how I remember my daddy. Here's how I remember my daddy. And it's prior to that. Some of you have experienced that. You've experienced a loved one with dementia. And you think, this is not the way I remember them. I remember them clear thinking. I remember great conversations. And you grieve the wilting away of life. You've grieved years of cancer eating away at a body until the body completely shuts down. Grieving that is a recognition. We live in a world that's fallen, not the way God originally created it. I, I was not prepared 20 months ago to get the call 
early one morning that my dad had been found dead on his front porch the night before. But I've often been so grateful that he didn't go through that long, painful path of years of suffering. That there was some grace and mercy. You know, you'd like some time sometimes. You go, man, I'd like the time, but not too much time. It is not displeasing or unglorifying to God when we grieve when people suffer the results of a fallen world because of sin. Doesn't deny what we believe. Second, I grieve the loss of relationship previously enjoyed. You miss somebody. That's appropriate grieving. You think about conversations. You have the first Christmas, the first Thanksgiving, or the fifth Thanksgiving. And sometimes we feel this pressure. We just get over it, move on. Don't feel that pressure. Grieving is a reflection of a relationship enjoyed, which God intended us to enjoy. We miss things. After my dad died, because he drove 5,000 miles a month driving Amish, who can't drive, but they're glad to ride in your vehicle if you'll drive. So he would drive them 5,000 miles a month to work and home from work. And so our pattern had been when he was driving and I was driving, we'd call and see if the other, it was usually if I was driving, he was usually driving. And so I'd call him. And, and then after he died, I'd, be, I'd jump in my truck and I'd think, oh, who am I going to call? Because that was the moment of connection, of relationship. And it's, I just want you to, because I know all across this hour, you, you're thinking of someone probably that, that you loved and you're thinking, I still grieve. Don't feel guilty about that. That is a reflection that you have entered into a relationship that was a gift from God. You know what would be really sad? A funeral where there is no grieving. That would be sad because that would be reflection. There wasn't relationship that was enjoyed and now not there. So I want us to honor God by honoring the gift of relationship enjoyed by giving us the God-given freedom to grieve when we lose the gift. Third, we grieve the, the relationships that didn't get to take place. You know, sometimes just the reality of experience in life teaches us things that we would never think about. I 
I know, Jackie, my wife not only misses her dad, but she grieves the fact that more than half of our kids never met him. See, the, the relationship that didn't get to take place. I've been to a funeral. You probably have been to a funeral where they describe a person and you think, man, I wish I would have known them. Or I wish I would have known them better. Uh, or this, I, I, wish, I wish we would have committed to spend more time together because we grieve the relationship that didn't happen. I know this may seem strange, or you may think, did I miss the worship service and come to a funeral? Uh, no, you didn't. I don't want you to be uninformed about how a believer responds to the glory of God in the face of death of another believer. And if you think, I can't grieve because that denies what I believe, I want you to blow up that thought and discard it and repent of it. And I want you to think a new thought. I want you to think that when we grieve, we honor God because that means we entered into the relationship that he had given us. And, and that you would take it a step further this morning right now and that you would maybe with a fresh and new commitment that you would say, I don't want to be in that place of avoidable regret where I could have spent more time with. I could have had relationship, but I was too preoccupied with my stuff. I was too preoccupied with my career. I was too preoccupied by pursuing something else. And I sacrificed the gift of relationship for those things that you would commit to love people. Because friends, if our defining mark as Christ followers is, as Jesus said, our love for one another, then it only makes sense that when we have loved one another deeply and the relationship ends by death, that we grieve to the glory of God, that we shed tears, tears that say, I miss the great gift that God has given. You don't have to fight them back. You don't think, have to think they dishonor God. They're a gift. But we don't grieve without what? Hope. We don't grieve without hope. Hope, we, we grieve because it's a reflection of God's goodness to us in relationship, but we grieve with hope. And folks, that's dramatically different. One of the greatest privileges, sounds like a weird privilege, I know. One of the greatest privileges I've had is to be a part of a lot of homegoing celebrations. In other words, with believers celebrating the homegoing of another believer. And I never appreciated it like I do now until my first funeral where the individual who died was not in Christ. They were not a believer. And the vast majority of the people in the audience were not believers. And this death was absolute despair. The 20 
two-year-old who all you could say was he died too young, he missed life, and, and the despair in, in that gathering was overwhelming to me. I, I left that service gone. I will never again underestimate the gift that we have of hope in the face of death. So I, I realize it's pretty heavy <laughs> coming back. You're like, man, I, I thought we were going to have maybe have some fireworks and uh, hamburgers. <laughs> Two weeks and you come back and talk about a death. Why don't you go away again? <laughs> because there's nothing more real to life than death. Amen. And there's nothing more hopeful than what we have in the face of death because what are people's greatest fears? Death and speaking in public. So I get to speak in public about death. (laughs) It's to to recognize we have an unparalleled hope. So uh, I'm watching, you're grieving with me as you think about relationship loss and relationship missed and suffering. That's appropriate, grieve with me. Uh, But now take a next step with me. And let's rejoice in the hope that the scripture declares. For if we believe, that's a huge if now. So you got to track with me because I'm not presuming everybody in here believes. In fact, I had a guy come up after me after last hour and go, okay, I'd like to talk to you because I'm not sure I believe. I want to believe, but I'm not sure I do believe. And I got some questions. So if that's you right now, you're not sure you believe in Jesus Track with me and find out the privilege of believing in Jesus. For if we believe that Jesus did what? Died. He died to pay the penalty for our sin. That I'm not perfect and therefore I deserve the wrath of God. But he died as a substitute in my place to take my penalty, to take my hell. He died and rose again. If we believe that, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, you can count on this, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. In other words, at that point, when Jesus comes back, there will be those who have died in Christ and those who are living in Christ. When that happens, those who have died in Christ are going to proceed in resurrection. Those who are alive. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, victory over death. And the dead in Christ will rise first. See, the key is in Christ. And then who we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. And then what's he say in verse 18? Do what with this? Comfort one another with these words. So right now I am speaking to some felt needs and I will immediately, hopefully by the word of the Lord, you'll be comforted. Some of you are young and you think, ah, that's a long way away. And you'll go, this, that wasn't that meaningful to me. That's all right. Truth prepares and truth rehabilitates. So even if it's not meeting a felt need, trust me, 
it's going to be a felt need at some point. So drink all of this in. And if you are experiencing the grieving of losing someone who has believed, then drink it all in as well with hope and comfort, encouragement from these words. Because for those who are, and here's the key, in Christ, in other words, they have trusted in him and his death and his burial and his resurrection, what we just talked about. Those who are in Christ, they have a, a great confidence. They have a grieving that is filled with believing, believing first that in Christ there is hope and comfort that death is going to lead to resurrection, new life. And that hope that death is going to lead to resurrection for those who are in Christ is rooted in what event? The resurrection of Jesus. Verse 14, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, you believe that? Okay, that's a huge if. If you believe that, if you believe in his death, his resurrection, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. See, I never understood really eternal life in Jesus. What I always thought about was this. When you believe in Jesus to be your forgiver, to pay the penalty for your sin, that that means when you die, then you get eternal life. But you got to wait till you die. Eternal life is the prize for those who trusted in Jesus when they were living. Not accurate at all. When you believe in Jesus, the scripture says, here's what happens, that the Father pours his spirit into your heart. And he is the eternal one. So you have been made one with the eternal one the moment you believe in Jesus. So the moment you believe in Jesus, you already at that moment receive eternal life. The weird part is you are living in eternal life in a temporary body, but that's going to change. But for now, you, if you have trusted in Jesus, you have already obtained eternal life. And you, of course, can't ever run it out. And if you've ever actually paused and thought, when does eternal life begin? That's kind of a funny statement. Because the nature of eternal would be it has no beginning and it has no end. I enter into it when I trust in Jesus. So because I am in Christ, I have eternal life as soon as I'm in him. And because I am in him and he was raised from the dead, I will be raised from the dead. And anyone here who is in Christ will be raised from the dead. The death is not the end. It's the gateway to a new beginning. Second, in Christ, there is the hope and comfort that the resurrection will bring a new body. The older you are, the louder you hoot about that one, right? Because when you're young, you really care about a new body. You don't need a new body. Your body's fine. The older you get, the more you go, let's talk about that new body stuff. Now, that new body stuff, by my own admission, is not in 1 Thessalonians 4. So, I'm going to 
make a connection in Scripture that shows you why we have this hope and confidence. It does say in 1 Thess 4, verse 16, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. So there's the trumpet of God at the return, which will bring the resurrection. Take that same thought, go to 1 Corinthians 15, and you read, but I, behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, which means what? Not, we're not all going to die. Some will be alive when Christ returns. There'll be some who are dead in Christ and some who are alive in Christ. But what is true for all will be changed. We all will be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, it's not progressive, it's like that. At the last trumpet, four, there it is, the trumpet connected to First Thess 4. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised, How? imperishable and we will all of us will exchange if we are in Christ all of us those who have died in Christ and those who are alive in Christ all of us will exchange a perishable body for an imperishable body early in first in that chapter he says so also is the resurrection of the dead. And he gives this picture. It is sown a perishable body. This is a great farming picture because you take a seed and you bury it in the ground. And you don't grow a big seed, <laughs> right? You ever notice that? You put a seed in the ground, but you don't grow a big seed. You, you put a seed in the ground and you grow a plant from that. Something dramatically different. So also is the resurrection is sown a perishable body. You take a perishable body and put it in the ground. But when Christ returns, if that person is in Christ, it is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body. So do you have a natural body? Yes. Yeah, that was an easy one for you. You have a natural body. It's right here in front of you. And... You will, if you are in Christ, have a spiritual body, which comes first. Natural body, then the spiritual body. Who gets theirs first? Those who died in Christ and then those who are alive in Christ. Those who die in Christ will raise first, receive their new, imperishable, powerful, glorified, spiritual body. And those who are in Christ and were alive at that time will be changed as well with a new body, powerful, spiritual glory, glorified body. Third, in Christ, there is hope and comfort that his return will lead to a reunion. His return will lead to a reunion. Again, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be called up. Here it is. Circle it maybe in your Bible. Together with them. So it genuinely is true when we have a homegoing celebration here at the chapel with a person who has died in Christ and those who are in Christ but still alive gathered together that we call it a, a homegoing and we say this is not a goodbye but a, a see you later. Now that might sound cheesy to you but think of the alternative. Think of a 
a goodbye with no promise to ever see again. And it'll, it'll hit you in a whole new way. Our son, Tommy, just became uh, seven, eight weeks ago, a youth pastor down in Fort Myers. And so he's in a new place, new church, uh, new friends, and we hadn't been down. So we left early Friday morning and said, we're going to go down for 28 hours and, and see Tommy in his new world. It was fun. We met some of his friends, saw the church where he's working. And, and then yesterday, four o'clock, sharp, all right, okay, we're heading back to Jack's. And we're in the driveway there. And it hit me how different it would be if I was hugging at my boy with no promise to ever, like forever, ever see him again. You know, it was hard enough to go, hey man, not sure, maybe it's going to be Thanksgiving, not sure when. There's the hug, there's the, man, what are the right words in this moment? But it changes it dramatically that, Lord willing, in this life, if not certainly in eternal life, I'll be with him again. But to think, I'm trying to say goodbye to a person without ever a hope of seeing them again. How do you end that embrace? What words do you say that are sufficient for that moment? You see the hope that we have? The, the despair of the alternative is motivating that God, by your grace and power, would more people find more life in Jesus. Because apart from life in Jesus, there is no reunion. There is a goodbye that will be final and forever. See, I don't know, but man, I, I hope you have a sense, a far greater sense that you would pray for those that you love, those who are in your family, those that you work with, those that God has placed you around, that you would recognize apart from them being in Christ, death for them is so dramatically different and despairing than if they were in Christ. So let's pray and let's love and speak up. Let's have our speech full of grace, season with salt, the truth of the gospel. The reunion is for those who are in Christ. What it says is that it's going to be a reunion we'll never, that will never end. Now, as you write that down, I, I recognize for some of you, you think, well, that's terrible. <laughs> a family reunion that would never end? That sounds like hell, not heaven. <laughs> Why? Because <laughs> we live in a fallen world where we're not perfect. And perishable bodies that do wear out. And so... When we think of that, we think, wow, I don't know that I want that. But when we think of 
new bodies for those who are in Christ. Why would we ever want that to stop? We wouldn't. We get a taste of it because there's, there's some things in your life right now that you love and you wish they wouldn't end. Just think about that. There's some things that you really enjoy. You have a, maybe you love to read and you're like, man, when I read a book, I don't want it to ever end. And people understand that, so they write series, <laughs> right? Seriously, and then the, the author dies and they get somebody to write in the author's place because people don't want things that they love to end. Some of you love a good meal, but then you go, you, know, you can go to the Brazilian steakhouse, but at some point you can't eat anymore, no matter how good it is. You just can't. It's good, but there's an ending point. You love a great sunset and then it disappears. It's funny about that. The things we love, the things that we love the most in this world still stop. And the hope which, which wraps our grieving is that that which we experience in the life is good, but that which will be in heaven will be perfect. And that which is good only lasts for a while. And that which is perfect will last forever. So, folks, I can't, I can't give you anything better than that. Perfection forever. That's why we grieve with hope. That we lost something that we loved, but we recognize as much as we loved it, it was only good, it wasn't perfect. <laughs> but we're going to get the perfect, and it won't end. And that which will make it the sweetest and the best is this. Not that we have new bodies, as good as that's going to be. <laughs> it's that we will be with the Lord. That might sound like too religious for you or too cheesy. But let's not miss. You know what makes heaven heaven? The presence of God himself. You know what makes hell hell? The complete absence of God himself. That is why we are to, as a church, to be a blessing to our community because we're to bring, through the Holy Spirit living within us, we're to bring the, the presence of Christ as salt and light to a dark and decaying world. And they go, oh, that's good. It's Christ himself, God himself, that makes heaven heaven. And so the greatest of the good that we can look forward to, the reason that we have a grieving but with a grieving with great hope is that we will have a reunion with one another but also with the Lord that will never end in a new heaven and a new earth. I don't know how I'll say, say this any other than this way. It will be so good we won't want it to end. We can't imagine it now. It'll be so good we won't want it to end, and it won't. 
You capture that? See, we can't, I can't connect that to anything in this life. Something that is so good that we don't want to ever end, and it won't. And it's at the heart because it's the presence of God. This study has made me think differently about another passage in Scripture. Uh, you know the story of Peter? Some of you do. The Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's there with a couple other disciples, and Jesus is there, and then Moses and Elijah show up, and then Jesus' body begins to glow, a, a, a glimpse into a new, glorified, resurrected body. And you know what Peter says? Hey, let's build a tent. One for you, one for you, and let's stay here. And it'd be easy to go, oh, come on, Peter, don't be such a jerk. And we, we beat him up all the time on that story. And actually, I think differently about it now. I think he actually saw something that we don't see, and it was so good that he was like, oh, this is the presence of God in all its glory, and I don't want it to end. And that's what we have promised. We have a phenomenal promise in ahead of us. Here's a glimpse of it that John saw in Revelation 21. A new heaven and a new earth. For the first earth and the, the first heaven and the first earth passed away. It's gone. And there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God and made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men and he will dwell among them and they shall be his people and God himself will be among them. You see what he's saying? That there's going to be relationship here. Perfect, unending relationship between God and his people. And he's going to wipe away every tear from their eyes and there won't be any death. There won't be any mourning. There won't be any crying and there won't be any pain because those things are gone passed away. Yeah, folks, maybe we don't hurt enough <laughs> to look forward. Can you imagine suffering in Jesus and being told that? We'd be ecstatic because the hope that we have in Christ is honored by our grieving. It's the gift of God's relationship, gift of relationship given to us by God and our believing that this is not the end. In Christ, we have an assurance of an eternal reunion in new bodies with God himself and one another. I wonder if you're looking forward to heaven. Yes. <laughs> uh, I think I was probably ambivalent. I knew I should be, but I was kind of honestly probably ambivalent on that for a long time. Because I didn't really get. Heaven had been too much described as an eternal choir in the sky, and I wasn't down with that at all. <laughs> but as I've understood what we have to look forward to, I do. 
And it was during this study, friends, that it hit me. I hadn't thought about this for years, but that I'm not afraid to die. It's become so part of the fabric of my thinking that I was like, now, to be honest, the whole process of dying, (laughs) uh, about that. (laughs) But death itself, I have tremendous confidence and assurance of hope. But that that wasn't always true. There was a time in my life where I was afraid of the return of Christ because the return of Christ, I didn't know how it was going to fall for me personally. Was I going to go to heaven? Wasn't I going to go to heaven? I was going to church. I was reading my Bible. I was going to camp. But I really was afraid. And I get it. Again, most people's greatest fear is death. But Christians don't have that fear, or don't need to have that fear. Death has lost its sting. And so it wasn't that I didn't know what Christians were promised. It was that I wasn't sure I was a Christian. I don't know if you can relate to that. I knew that Christians won. I just didn't know if I was one of them. And I didn't know if I was one of them because I understood status of being a Christian was based on what you didn't and didn't do. Was I good enough or had I done too much bad? And I know that because every Sunday morning I would, as a young person, sit in a seat in a church like this and say, dear God, please forgive me for everything that I blew it last week. I know I did all this wrong and, and, and I'm not cussing here. It would the hell scared out of me. <laughs> now, how to say it? It was just, I was so afraid that I was going to go to hell and it was always because of what I had done and not done. And here, the disheartening, I'm going to give us good news in a moment. The disheartening news reality is this. As long as I am basing my status of whether I'm a Christian or not a Christian based on what I do and don't do, I'll never have assurance because I'll never know if I've been good enough or if I've been too bad. I'll never know. You can't know. Just just like my my friend, 80-year-old neighbor from Guatemala, I don't know Doug. And I would plead with her. I'd show her from the scripture. She could have assurance, but she couldn't have assurance, not because she didn't believe in Jesus. She did believe in Jesus. She just believed in Jesus plus the necessity of her own good works and her own church attendance and her own religious activity that maybe the two together maybe would be good enough. Broke my heart for her because I have assurance and you can have assurance because assurance is not based on what we do. It's based only entirely on what Jesus has done for us so that 
The, the, the scripture declares that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. In other words, you're admitting, I am not Lord. I do not have control of my life. I am not the ruler of my own destiny. I cannot save myself. I cannot be good enough. Only Jesus can do for me what I can't do for myself. He is Lord. If I will confess with my mouth, Jesus, you're the Lord, and believe in my heart that God has raised him from the dead, I will be saved. And it won't be because I went to church and because I did good things and because I stopped doing bad things. Hey, if I'm in Christ, I'm a new creature. Old things pass away, new things have come. But the status of my relationship with God is not based on my works. It's based only on Jesus alone. And so I want for you what God has graciously given me, an assurance of my salvation. And the assurance is not that you walk out and live a better life. The only assurance is right here. Would you, this morning, right there in your seat, would you confess with your mouth, Jesus, your Lord, not me. And would you believe in your heart that God has raised that Jesus from the dead? That is how you're born again. That's how you become a child of God. That's how you enter into eternal life. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. And fear of death, gone. Grieving, yes. Believing, yes. Would you bow with me? And there in the quietness of this moment, I want to invite you. Maybe you have believed in Jesus, but you live in fear. You lack assurance. I want to invite you just there to confess with your own lips right now that Jesus, you are Lord, not me. I don't control my destiny. I can't determine my destiny. Only you can. And I believe that you paid for my sin in your death, burial, and resurrection. I trust you to save me. The simple promise of Scripture is if you will confess, as I just declared and believe, that you can have the assurance of eternal hope of heaven thank you for that Lord Jesus thank you for the joy that that fills our heart with that the fear that is dispelled the future whatever it holds we can look forward to being with you would you open the eyes of any who are still dead in their sins that they would be born again right now today in Jesus name amen just stand and let's let's declare with a full heart full voice the hope that we have of eternity with our Savior this world is not my home 
I couldn't give you any better news than uh, what we just reviewed this morning and any greater invitation that really you would not leave this morning or at most you would go, I've got some questions and I'm willing to ask them and talk about them. I talked with a young man again after last hour. If you are not sure, for sure, that you're sure that you know what happens to you when you die? You can resolve that today, trusting in Jesus. If you have for the first time, maybe today, take this Connect card out, fill it out, put your name on it, and maybe a contact information. If you have questions, do the same thing. Drop them out on the uh, the box, the baskets on, on the way out. All right, let me close us with... Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely 
And may your spirit and soul and body preserve complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who has called us, and he also will bring it to pass. God bless.